Okay, let's take a look now. Is one better? Um, or is two better? Two for sure. Okay, great. Let's take another look. Is one better? Um, or two? Two. All right, I want to welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood Campus, all the, all the different ones that God's bringing together. We just are really pleased that you're all part of a greater JFC family. Um, the series is called I Exam, and we're talking about the examined life. Today we're going to go a little bit further, and we're going to talk about um, examining your faith, looking at yourself spiritually and seeing how that you're, you're, you're doing. Um, one of the concepts that occurred to me, this is not some... Uh, new 2012 teaching. It's not something that we're doing uh, for the very first time. In fact, um, it, it, is, it is very apparent that the idea of resolutions, goals, and promises, you don't have to be a believer to have something inside of your heart go off in a new year with wanting to see yourself achieve goals and wanting to see things happen. I just think it's, it's a God-ordained issue that he's put in the heart of every person a desire to do better, and a desire to do more, and a desire to be successful. And so as we look at this, this is not some new concept. It's not some jubilee concept. In fact, uh, it's a very ancient idea and a very ancient concept. One of the things that I uh, see throughout the Bible, when you look at the, uh, the holidays and when you look at uh, the festivals and the feasts that were kept, you have to look at the deeper meaning behind them. So for instance, the, uh, the fall holidays on the Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, all of those have a deeper meaning. The, the very first one, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, uh, observant Jews, even to this day, will take that week and they spend the entire week looking inward and examining themselves. They examine their lives. They examine uh, their marriages, they examine their finances, they examine all parts of their lives, but in particular spiritually. They look at themselves, how am I doing spiritually? And then uh, that leads up, if you could imagine, spending an entire week looking at what's going on on the inside of you. For some people, that leads to a, a place of uh, anxiety at the, at the very least. Then you have um, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. So you spend an entire week looking inward. What it's supposed to force you to do is come to the idea and to the understanding that you need help. That's, that's what it's really supposed to do. If you spent an entire week looking at all the issues in your life, it's supposed, supposed to force you to the place of going, hey, I need, I need God. And then you have the Day of Atonement, which is the, in the Jewish calendar once a year. Uh, the high priest would go in and make a sacrifice for the entire nation. So they would spend a week observant of their lives. It's supposed to bring them to the point of recognizing hey, I need God to move in my life, the Day of Atonement. God would forgive them of their sins. God would show up in a powerful way. And then right after the Day of Atonement was the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a one-week or an eight-day, actually, celebration. And it was supposed to be, um, hey, God has forgiven us of our sins. God is moving in our lives. Let's celebrate what the Lord is doing. So if you look at the concept of, of, uh, um, uh, of, of being observant and um, of, of examining yourself. It's not a new thought or a new idea. It's a biblical thought that's gone all the way through. So today we're going to talk about examining your faith. Uh, in your notes, 2 Corinthians 13, 
verse 5 is the one that we're going to use. And Paul wrote these powerful words. Test yourselves to make sure that you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. Now, I pull that from the message translation, but in every translation that you look at, you'll have something that's very similar. I just use the message because I like the idea. It uses the sentence, give yourselves regular checkups. And I don't know how long it's been since you have gone to the doctor and had a checkup. I just had a conversation with Pastor Dan not that long ago, and Dan said, I've got this pain uh, right here in my stomach that keeps coming up. And I said, well, that's not normal. I said, go, go to the doctor. And he said, last time I went to the doctor, the doctor told him, that's weird. That's not normal. I said, well, that, that's, when the doctor thinks it's weird, it's not good. So that's, that's definitely something you want to have looked at. Um, I had, I had a, a recent thing happen to me, too, in that um, uh, in, in 2011, in the summertime, I had... Um, I developed this really weird cough and went to the doctor. It turned out to be uh, pneumonia, but it was like a seven-week cough. I could not get over it, and it just got worse and worse and worse. Uh, and in fact, um, when I went back the last time to the doctor, uh, I said, man, you need to do an x-ray because my, my back is hurting. I, I think I've strained something from coughing. guy does a, an x-ray, and I end up with a nine-millimeter kidney stone that was, that was blocking the kidney. And... Um, the guy said probably the coughing had jarred it loose. The only reason it's pertinent and it's important is I was going through all the pain. I was going through all of this, this suffering. And as soon as I had the checkup, they were able to do something about it. They were able to fix it. They were able to, to diagnose it. And they went in and they, they got rid of the thing. But up until then, you just put up with it. I wonder in our spiritual lives how much we just put up with because we don't check it out. We don't, we don't find out what's going on. We, just, we have the symptoms. We have the pain. We have whatever, but we don't do anything about it. We just put up with it. So that's really what we're trying to teach right here. It's the idea of give yourself a checkup. How are you doing? If, you're, if it's not working like it's supposed to work, do something about it. So with, with that in mind, I put down a few thoughts right here. Uh, the first one is test yourselves. The Bible clearly teaches that we're supposed to give ourselves checkups, test our faith, test ourselves how we're doing. So I, let me give you three things that you can test yourself with to see how you're doing spiritually. Uh, when the Bible says to examine your faith, you should take that serious. And there are ways, uh, rather than just go, hey, examine your faith, now go home and try to figure it out. Let me, let me give you some ways that you, you can really do this. The first one is this. If you're really born again, then, then this, should, should, uh, this should appeal to you and it should make sense. When you sin, does it bother you? When you sin, does it bother you? If you're born again, I, I try to explain this to people... Um, is, is a little bit difficult in that uh, once you're born again, the, the proof that you're born again should be that you recognize, man, I need a Savior. That's, that's the whole issue. Before you're born again, you sin and you're proud of your sin. You, in fact, many people, man, they show their stuff off and they don't realize how ugly it is. Then you're born again and you recognize, I've got problems. And instead of wanting to show your stuff off, Believers begin to hide their stuff. You know what I'm talking about with that idea right there. So in, in this case, what I'm trying to say is, is when you go to test yourself spiritually, sin is one of those areas you could, you could actually test yourself in. When you sin, does it bother you? Paul writes in Romans 1.28, he, he's talking about people who sin perpetually, 
and who are not born again. And he said that God ends up giving those people over, he uses the word, to depravity. But it's the idea of a seared conscience. And here's, here's what can happen to, to a person who, is, um, who, who, who continues going their own way and doesn't let the work of the Holy Spirit happen in their lives. You, you tend to build up a callousness in your heart towards sinning, to where it doesn't bother you anymore. Now, I don't know if you've ever developed a callus. I've got one on the bottom of my foot that I can, uh, just from perpetual use, the skin is so thick, I can run barefoot all summer long, walk over the rocks, walk over the pavement. It doesn't bother me because I've developed this ability where the skin's gotten thick and you lose the sensitivity. Here's what happens when you're born again. God puts that new spirit inside of you and it's very sensitive to the things of this world. And in particular, it's sensitive to when you sin. It's supposed to bother you when you sin so that you bring it to God, so that you know the difference. When a person doesn't pay attention to that, when you don't get a checkup, when you don't figure out why it's bothering me, it builds up a callousness in your heart. And you become hardened to sin. And this is why people that love God can end up with a lifestyle. Their, their passport is stamped heaven, but their lifestyle is stamped hell. And they live in, a, in such a depraved society that they become, instead of being sensitive and recognizing how mixed up it is, they become a part of the system. It's why Romans 12 tells us we have to be consistently renewed in our minds because you can be born again and not end up being renewed on a daily basis. So you end up being, being a part of what's broken rather than being able to be the solution to what's broken. So when we test ourselves, we ask the question, when you sin, does it bother you? You never want to lose your conscience. You always want a tender conscience. It's supposed to bother you when you blow it. Now, it's not supposed to debilitate you. You shouldn't be a person that when you sin, you just you give up. Oh, I'm, I'm a wretch. But it's supposed to force you to go to God and say, I need help. Change my heart. Don't let me, don't let me stay. How about this? You ever heard the old cliche? God loves you enough not to leave you in the condition that he found you. I love that right there. It, it's, it's, we don't want to ever become hardened towards sin. And so one of the things we do when we test ourselves, when you sin, does it bother you? How about this? Test yourselves. Are you growing in love towards God and others? I, I, I think the only true test, the only spiritual mechanism we really have to test how we're doing and whether or not we're growing is love. Are you growing in love towards God and are you growing in love towards other people? Jesus was asked the question. The, the law keeper comes to him. What's the most important commandment of all the law? Jesus quickly tells him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors as yourself. Those two commandments, everything hangs on those two commandments. They're really one and the same. If you love God, you love people. If you love people, you're loving God. You can't love God and not love people. So, so when we test ourselves, ask yourselves, are you growing spiritually? Do you love God more today than you did last year? And do you love people more? And it always gets quiet when I say that. No one gets excited about that one right there. But it's the way that you test. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. that's where you'll find that to be true. And then how about this? When you test yourselves, look for fruit. Galatians 5.22, Paul teaches the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives nine different individual things that you can test. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and 
kindness and mercy, gentleness, self-control. He goes through it all. Here's, here's what I would say to you. When you test yourselves, look to see if you have any fruit in your life. Here's the problem, though, when we're looking for fruit. You recognize not all fruit is the same size. Sometimes fruit is very small in our lives. And when it is, it's difficult to measure it at that time. How about this? Um, you can be going through a time of pruning where God knocked all the fruit off. That's not a fun time. And yet the Bible tells us very clearly that those he loves, he disciplines. And it uses the word pruning in that sentence right there. And maybe you find yourself in a place in life right now where you're not seeing a lot of fruit. But here's what the devil will tell you. You're not seeing fruit because you're not born again. You're not seeing fruit because God's not really in you. Well, that's a lie. You're not seeing fruit when you're being pruned because God's intention is to bring more fruit out of your life. And the only way to do it is to cut it back so that it produces more. And last but not least, it can be wintertime in your life. In the wintertime, right now, look outside. You don't see anything growing except discontent. The, the, the <laughs> that's just off the top of my head. Here's, here's when it's wintertime, you're not getting the growth. You're not getting the greenery. You're not getting the fruit. Um, it is a cyclical issue. The Bible does compare our lives to seasons, and sometimes people are in wintertime. And it's never the same for everybody all at once. Sometimes you'll have the person in summer, and you'll have the person in winter. And, and how do you know the difference? The summertime person, you'll always sit by the summertime person if you're in winter. That's, that's what will happen. You will not end up with another wintertime person who comforts you in your affliction. You will end up with the person with the Bible this big who preaches at you for hours about why it's dangerous to be in the wintertime. So it's, it's just one of those, those things. But looking for fruit is one of those issues. You should be able to do it. And at some level, you should be able to find fruit over a long period of time. Okay, uh, so we're testing ourselves. Examine your faith. Test yourselves. Number two, drifting. And I mentioned this in the last message. Drifting is an issue. All believers need to pay attention to drifting. Now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So this is being written to believers, and what it means simply is this. As a believer, it is possible, if you don't pay attention, that you can drift. And when you drift, drifting, the very word and the very understanding of it is that it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in one shot. Drifting is something where all you need to do is get off just a little bit, not pay attention to it, and then give it two, three, five, six months, nine months, or a year, and you will find yourself a great distance away from the trail you're supposed to be on. And, and I made this, uh, this analogy recently in that series on Genesis that we did back in, in October and November. Here, here was the, the analogy that a person at the wrong place at the wrong time is susceptible to being misled and ending up in a, in a, in a crash in their life. And I use the idea that David, the Bible says at the time when kings go out to war, David remained behind in Jerusalem. When you don't pay attention, you can find yourself in a very distant place spiritually. And no one in the room is, is, is beyond or above that happening to you. And in fact, if you've lived long enough, you probably have recognized the ability. All you need to do is get off in an attitude. And an attitude can produce such a nasty distance in you in a year. All you need to do is get off in a... In a uh, get angry and not deal with it 
and you'll find yourself in a very distant place spiritually. So Paul teaches we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. How about this? What we've heard, the very idea there is it's not something new. It's probably something you know, but are not paying attention to doing. Okay, this is where examining your life becomes necessary. No one ends up far away overnight. They drift methodically and exponentially over a long period of time. Listen, anger, disappointment, frustration, carelessness, things of this world, whatever it is, all of those things, when you don't pay attention to them, can cause you to drift. We lived in in Florida for a beginning time in our ministry. One of the things I enjoyed in Florida, there are a lot of lakes there, therefore there's a lot of boating. And it seemed like all of the, the people that we got to know all had boats, they all went out for the weekend, they all they enjoyed it. We'd go out with them from time to time. One of the issues with boats is that you've got to anchor them or you've got to moor them because boats will drift. And we had a kid who borrowed, he was, he was 15 or 16, borrowed his, his father was a doctor, he borrowed his father's ski boat. And it was a, a very expensive boat, like a $40,000 speedboat. And the dad let the kid borrow it to, to bring it out to the lake. And he put it in the lake, did not, forgot to anchor the boat. So that he, he backed it off the trailer, got it into the water, was going to pull the trailer out and go jump in the boat real quickly. Backs the trailer up, the boat off, pulls out, and the boat drifts out to the middle of the lake. So the kid's like, what do I do? Like, Jesus walks on water, but we're not, so figure out what we need to do. Things drift. It's the very nature of how things work, is that if they're not moored or they're not anchored, things drift. I remember early on when we started the church, we had a couple... Uh, there were actually two of them at the very same time. This was within the very first year of starting the church. Two couples, approximately the same age, approximately at the same place in their marriage. And they both, um, both suffered an attack of the enemy in their marriage. And both couples had decided, we're going to call it quits. It's just the way that it is. We're going we're gonna to separate. We're going to divorce. This is the way we're going. And in one case, one of the marriages was able to be saved. And in the other case, the marriage broke up. And looking back at it, it was one of those times where, you know, I'm examining what, what went on here, what happened here, why did this happen? They both, on the outside, their ages were very similar. They were at a similar place spiritually. They were at a similar place in how long they'd been married, the whole thing. What was the difference? The only conclusion that I could come up with, um, it came down to this very thing. The one couple whose marriage was able to be saved and made it through... Had, they had mooring lines or anchor lines in relationships with people in the church. And the other couple did not have relationship. They had not anchored themselves or moored themselves to any type of stability. So listen to me. Both of them came and said, this is what we're doing. The one couple that had the relationship, I looked at and said, you can't do this. This is not what God wants This is not the direction you're supposed to go. And because the anchor lines were there, the mooring lines were there, we were able to save the marriage. 
The other one, there was nothing there to keep them from going the way that they wanted to go. There was nothing to hold them. The wor- I said the exact same words to them that I said to the other couple, but n- there was no anchor there. There was nothing there to hold them in place. So they were able to drift, and it, and it causes destruction in a believer's life. So this is where examining your life is very necessary. Remember, no one ends up far away overnight. So let me, let me be personal with you. I'll give you the two things that I've recognized in my life that caused me to drift. These are two areas I've got to examine uh, constantly. The first one is attitudes. So anybody ever have problems with an attitude? Two of us. Why is that such a hard thing to admit? If you want to admit it, you've got an attitude. So let me try again. Do you ever have an attitude? Attitudes are, attitudes are those things. They come, they come from anything. They come, Jesus said it's impossible that offenses not come your way. Offenses that are not handled cause attitudes. Attitudes untested, listen, they kill me. They absolutely kill me. They start so small. That's the problem. It seems insignificant. But give it six months. And it's huge. The other one is discouragement. I don't know how, how big of a deal that is for anybody else in the room. Discouragement to me is a constant battle. I fight discouragement. To say every day, you might think I'm exaggerating. Every day I fight discouragement. Every day I have to fight through it. Every day I have to push through it. Discouragement is the mother of bad theology. And it takes place over a long period of time. You get discouraged and you just drift and you drift and you drift. Now I wrote down just some thoughts. We talk about the examined life. We're actually talking about discipleship. I've made this statement before, but see if it applies more right now. Salvation is free. But discipleship begins to cost you everything, yes or no? Yes. So we're talking about the examined life. We're not talking about going to heaven. We're talking about the abundant life that God wants you to have right now. And when you don't enter into the abundant life, instead of blaming it on God, maybe we need to look at what we're doing. That's, we're not, why aren't we entering into the promised land? So salvation is free. But man, discipleship begins to cost you everything. So here's how I would relate it. See if this makes any sense. Getting married is the easy part. Going 50 years is hard. Making babies is fun. You say amen. Raising young men and young women who love God is hard. You hear me? Christian consumers don't serve don't help, don't pray, don't give. Here's what they do. They check in and they check out and they move on when trouble comes up. And they're consumers and they're not producers. When we begin to talk about the examined life, this is for people who are not content to just check in, check out, and move on to the latest, greatest thing that's happening. It's people that dig deep and who say, my life needs to count. It needs to matter. I need to grow up. It need, I've only got a certain amount of time, and it's got to count. <laughs> Here's a seven-day prayer 
See if this makes any sense. If you're interested in examining your life, let me give you a seven-day prayer. Pray it every day, multiple times for the next seven days. Here it is. God, I rely on you for the deficiencies of my past and any success in my future. Yes or no? When I say examine life, you're not going to go home and, you know, I'm going to come up with three goals and I'll be successful. We're talking about discipleship, allowing Christ to work inside of you. All right, so let me, let me give you the last one. Test yourselves. Don't trust. Last one, look, if you find yourself in a place where the examined life is necessary for you, and I w- I'm going to tell you right now, every person in this room should say that it is, then do something about it. Remember this. Don't be a victim anymore. Don't be a victim. God has set you free so that you don't have to be a victim. Revelations chapter 2, 4 and 5. This is from the message again. Jesus said, you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. Turn back. Recover your dear early love. No time to waste. I'm well on my way to removing your light from its golden circle. Those are powerful words. Jesus talked about love more than anybody else in the Bible, and he also talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. It's a powerful understanding that God has a direction for our lives. God has a purpose for our lives. But man, it's not just about, hey, whatever happens, happens. You play a part in this. The ultimate reason we test ourselves is to make sure that our heart is passionate and locked into Christ. Where's your heart? Where's your life at right now? What's going on inside of you? What's happening spiritually? So I guess... You know, now, now that, that it's, it's understood with what Chris and I are doing in our lives, you know, January and February for us are completely set aside so that we pursue God with everything that's in us. And, and here, here's the thought. When I approached the board and said, hey, I need to take this sabbatical spiritually, I've got more vacation time than, than I can use up right now. It's I don't need a break. What I need is refreshing. I don't need a vacation to go to Hawaii. What I need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a basis so that this is the most important thing. Listen, no relationship that I have can be more important than the relationship I have with Christ. It has to come first. It has to come above. It's got to be the priority of my life. Even above the relationship with my wife, the relationship that I have with him, there can't be second place when it comes to God. It's first place or it's nothing. So I, let me just passionately say to you, where's your passion at? Where's the commitment level in you? What's going on inside of you right now? And this is not some, some type of a, a well, we're, we're looking for a, a response emotionally. God knows, I, I, I hope I get to the place where I finally graduate from everything having to be an emotional heebie-jeebie to know that God touched me. I want to come to the place where just I make the decision, I'm growing no matter how I feel. And I'm pressing forward no matter what it looks like, and this is where I'm going. And I just say one more time, unless the spiritual leadership sets that as the priority and makes that, this is what we're doing, no one else in the church can do it ultimately. So goes the leadership, so goes the church. Jesus himself taught, the student is not above his teacher, but when he fully is trained, he'll be like his teacher. We can only aspire to the height of our leadership. 
I would challenge every, every pastor, every leader in our church, every leader in a family, in any situation you're in, how are you doing spiritually? What's happening inside of you? We said, we said we want 2012 to be the best year ever. Why or how is that going to happen? What makes that not just words? Plant your flag and make it happen, man. 2012 is the year. How about this? Why not now? Why not us? Why not here? Why not? All right, so we leave time at the end of our services then to connect with God. This is a message. It's a series. It's a time that unless we actually connect with Him, unless we actually engage with God, this is just, it's just talk. It's just words. There's no power to it. God's got to work this work in our lives. It's got to happen inside of us. So the question is, what do you want to happen in 2012? How deep do you want to go? How far do you want to see the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you want it to be the number one priority? So I'm saying yes. That's where I'm at. I'm saying yes. I, I want to go all in. Hold nothing back. 2012. Just make it the year where it happens.